events that are coming up. Our second discussant is Hanan Jacobi, and Hanan is lead economist in the Development Research Group at the World Bank. Welcome, Hanan. We look forward to your comments. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, it's great to have this opportunity to discuss um, Will's paper and to be back at IFPRI after a long time. Um, so uh, my remarks are going to oh, – how do you – my remarks will have a slightly uh, a different uh, focus. Um, so Will uh, uh, documents um, cross-country income convergence and how the agricultural sector is being transformed by it. And my question, the question that this talk kind of uh, raised in my mind was to what extent this transformation uh, is in effect of economic growth as, as Will uh, seems to emphasize, or actually a cause of economic growth, and why might this matter to us? So just coming back to the notion of income convergence, uh, you know, uh, the, the neoclassical growth model uh, uh, implies uh, that countries with low capital stocks should grow faster than those already in a steady state. So it's really convergence across countries is sort of built into the one-sector neoclassical growth model. Um, and uh, this really has nothing to do with agriculture per se, okay? Um, but uh, there's, of course, a long tradition, which Will uh, alluded to in, in the development, sort of macro-development literature, um, that considers agriculture as a separate sector from non-agriculture. And um, that literature has uh, become very active as of late uh, in trying to understand uh, uh, structural transformation. So the gradual shift of labor out of low productivity agriculture you know, into more productive sectors. And that generates or can generate overall growth because you're just shifting the, you know, the weights toward more productive sectors, uh, essentially. Um, and, um, and sort of the, the, the basic models of this process uh, emphasize increasing agricultural productivity as a, as a precondition for this kind of growth. Uh, the reason for that is because it take, just takes fewer people to produce the, the food requirement, and that allows labor to move out of agriculture, particularly traditional agriculture, into more productive sectors. So. Is agriculture the growth engine? Uh, is, it, is agriculture driving this convergence uh, that Will has documented? So um, the paper by Gollin et al. that uh, Will uh, uh, referred to actually uh, was new to me, and, and, and uh, I thank him for, um, for bringing that to my attention. Uh, and it's a potentially important piece of work. Uh, it looks at the relationship between GDP per capita, the cross-country relationship between GDP per capita and the adoption of high-yielding food varieties. And it deals with, the, of course, the simultaneity between these two trends. Um, and what it finds, what the paper finds is that 80% of economic growth in developing countries from 1960 to 2000 can be accounted for by the adoption of high-yielding food varieties. Um, 
much of this effect comes from increased agricultural productivity, but a good chunk of it also comes from the um, reallocation of labor that results from high productivity that we just talked about, the structural transformation part. Uh, and then there's some results on population, which are also pretty remarkable. The developing world would have had a billion more people without this green revolution. So um, again, these are really surprising and, and, and potentially important results, but you know, in my microeconomist's mind, I, I have some issues that I think need to be sorted out. One of which is that the effects they're estimating uh, persist, even looking at a, at a sample of countries dominated by Sub-Saharan Africa, which had very low adoption over this period and also very low growth. So unclear what, what's going on there. Um, another thing about the, 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 the results is that they suggest that uh, there's actually uh, a negative association between national income and high-yielding variety. It, it looks like um, the more income you have, the lower your adoption rates, if, if you interpret their results. And, um, and that goes against our sort of intuition, actually what Will discusses in his, his paper about you know, the, the, the income growth and, and R&D and so on. Uh, and finally, I think this is maybe most important, uh, is there's not much room left after you take out 80% of growth for other causal factors that have been shown to be important, such as trade liberalization, uh, non-agricultural technology uh, growth, uh, and so on. So what is the upshot of all this? Well, I think if, 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 uh, if true, <laughs> uh, that you know, if both income and population growth in developing countries is largely driven by agricultural technical change, we, we have to think about or rethink um, the kind of uh, projections that we'll uh, put up about food demand and supply, uh, and maybe think about not treating these uh, both sides of the market as independent of one another, if, if they're all both being driven by uh, agricultural technology uh, and so on. Um, and I also think we need to think about the, um, you know, how trade and trade openness interacts with technology adoption in agriculture, especially in this era of globalization post-2000, after that study was, was done. So I think I'll stop there.